Many call us tastemakers, cultural prophesizers, oracles of the next big thing. I'm Maisha. And I'm Emily. And we're here to tell you, it's, it's good actually. Listen, I have, I have things to do. Um, do you want a deal with the devil? I think maybe we start with the fact that we were right because we're always right and never wrong. Um, and so us taking a hard stand as Wom's girls and as con heads, we ended up on top. So true. And for context for people who are listening, we are mere days after, uh, post- Succession season three finale. So we're reeling and recovering and processing everything that happened in the last five episodes, but more importantly, the last episode. And the last like two days when I've just been like ruminating, like deep in thought. Um, a really long time ago, I was explaining to somebody I was talking to that. So basically they had asked me like, what, what is succession about? A question everybody loves to ask me. <laughs> and, um, I was like explaining it to him and I was like, you know, are you familiar with the whole sort of uh, heavy as the head that wears the crown, like Hamlet, son and his father paradigm? And he was like, I thought it was a comedy. Like, yeah, of course I'm familiar with that. It's the most common trope in the world. And I'm like, you say this, but like, there is nothing sort of common about what I now have started to referring to as um, like modern Shakespearean drama of our time. Mm. And um, stop me from rambling at any moment, but I just want to say that one of the criticisms of calling this like quote unquote Shakespeare is that people are like, how are y'all calling this Shakespeare? It's like literally so funny. And I'm like, let me tell you like how many tragedies of Shakespeare have incorporated comedy in itself. Hey, I've got a word for you. It's called tragic comedy. <laughs> ever, you ever heard of it? Ever considered it? Like, listen, open your mind up. Realize that there are further possibilities. Um, genre crossing can be and is real and is happening all around us. It happens on our very screens. It <laughs> happened on our very televisions for nine weeks. <laughs> Um, strong start, I feel like. I just really started <laughs> rambling about Shakespeare. <laughs> strong start, like, not explaining any of the context of <laughs> Womps, Girls, and Con Heads waiting. <laughs> no, 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 we'll get to that later. I think this is a good segue to maybe not run or rush, but uh, uh, leisurely stroll to the defense of one Mr. Jeremy Strong. Yeah. Who has been getting a lot of flack in the media lately for being, quote, a method actor. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> Who, by the way, he himself has said he is not a method actor. Well, he's also been like, it's weird to refer to Kendall Roy in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of tells you everything you need to know about Jeremy Strong is that he's just like a weird guy. Yeah. And that's okay. He's just a drama nerd. That's like, what I'm saying. You My, have to uh, realize that there are theater kids who are successful sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's like um it's like uh, like he's like a weird guy who takes acting very seriously. My favorite part of the New Yorker profile is when they like kind of ask um Kieran Culkin like what it's like to work with him and he was saying like 
oh yeah like i was like yeah it's a comedy and jeremy was like what like in the way that Chekhov is a comedy and <laughs> that is just such a beautiful uh roman and kendall moment and i don't remember yeah. if i i don't remember if this is something i've been yelling in our in our messages to each other or if i've like even mentioned this in like the first part of the succession episode or the succession episode part one if you will but like it is my true belief that all the actors are kind of in an essence their characters like yeah i think especially with kendall and roman mm-hmm. like kieran colgan has been playing this romanesque character for a while now and I've been sort of dutifully um, following his wife's Instagram. And, like, their relationship is very, like, playful and, like, funny and, like, sort of, like, making digs and, like, whatever. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> so he is a freak in real life. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They have a beautiful family. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, um... Um, and then Sarah famously, uh, I think, I think her like costume person or someone had said something like, um, Sarah who plays Shiv, that when she's not acting in a scene, she's actively doing squats. Which is like my favorite thing that I've learned about, about her. Just, yeah. And that, and, and, you know, not for nothing because now all over Twitter, she is being referred to as the juiciest ass on television. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of like criticism about this. I like reading about criticism of criticism. So (laughs) there's a lot of criticism about the fact that people keep like objectifying Shiv. And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I mean, yes, obviously there's some of that, but also like her ass is like supposed to be um, like a character. (laughs) Like she she is making sure of that by doing squats in between uh, scenes. And wearing high-waisted, wide-leg plaid, you know? Yeah, exactly. Who are we as mere viewers, as mere consumers of this high art, to tell her that her ass cannot be a character on Succession? <laughs> are we just going to ignore it? Is that, our, is that what you want? Is that not disrespect to the art form itself? Exactly. <laughs> it's good, actually, objectifying women. <laughs> Not to say that, like, independently from her ass, uh, Sarah Snook. Yeah. Okay. Why did, I, why did I forget? I've only been talking about her for, like, two months. Um, <laughs> independently from the juiciest ass on television, um, Sarah Snook is an incredible actress, which she proves again and again but especially in like the literal ultimate scenes of uh, this week's finale so yeah um and we were I mean we were talking about the actors in a way being their characters but I will say that with Sarah Snook there's like sometimes I see cast photos of just like all of them like in a group having fun like enjoying Italy and (laughs) Sarah is always just like beaming like she just has this really wide smile in those pictures. And that's how you're able to look at that and say, that's Sarah. That's not Shiv. <laughs> She's not in character right now, which is something that, uh, Jeremy, I'm almost calling him Kendall. Something that Jeremy <laughs> would not know about when, when Jeremy's smiling in a photo, he's Kendall's smiling. Yeah, no, you're right. That's sort of how you know that he's always on. He's never off. Yeah. Shiv's death glare is just 
Sorry. <laughs> that was really... <laughs> There's a little bit of ASMR while we're talking about uh, Shiv's death glare. I'm like pouring this into my cup. We're both double bevved. Double bevved. I guess I should say it's the work of of Sarah, but Shiv's death glare is so cutting and so just like, I don't know, it's just unreal. You look at it and you can't, like you're entranced because the minutiae of just her facial features and the way that she's able to warp her face and just turn on that switch and have a a completely different demeanor. I don't know. I'm just being very appreciative of her as an actress in that way. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because she does this thing that I think that uh, is entrancing to watch, which is like this kind of uh, dawning realization. It happened earlier in the season when she's in the car and she's realizing that like her dad, you know, uh, is uh, she fucked the thing with the lawyer and her dad like, is disappointed in her. She's being passed over for Jerry for CEO. And you could see that happening on her face where she's like calculating um, her possible flip to Kendall. And a lot of people talk about Jeremy Strong's face acting, which in itself is extremely strong. Um, But Sarah's face acting is like, like whenever that starts happening, you're like, okay, there's like shifting in the plot now. There's like something happening. And she, the character of Shiv kind of demands that because- Shiv is very just closed off and cold and by nature, not an emotional person and by necessity, not a person who wears her heart on her sleeve. So in order to even see like the conflict that she's going through, it takes that, that really close attention to detail. Okay. We're going back in time to like four weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Let's (laughs) let us take you on a journey back to four weeks ago when the shareholders meeting was occurring um, and Logan was, how you say, piss mad. Piss mad, which was a new term to me and one that I really appreciated how much they got away with putting it in the script repeatedly. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea was that they're at this really important shareholders meeting and Logan's supposed to like be addressing like whatever changes within the company and blah 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 and also I think addressing the was this before or after they heard back from the DOJ this was after before oh before before because Tom still has the looming threat of jail oh okay yeah so he still needed to sort of address all of this stuff together while at the same time fighting off the proxy war with Stewie and Sandy Sandy's for Ness. Sandy's. Father Sandy and daughter Sandy. The father, the father daughter Sandy duo. So all that was happening. And Logan um, is at the shareholders meeting and he has a UTI and his assistant Carrie, who he is having an affair with. He's, he, I think, he, all but confirmed. He's alluded to having, it's kind of like how he was alluded to having an affair with Rhea yeah. in uh, season two, but they never really like explicitly said so. Yeah, they never explicitly confirmed that one. I think with Carrie, it's like even more. maybe a little bit more confirmed because there was a moment when Roman brings it up in the boat with him when they're in Italy and he doesn't say anything about it. So Carrie, the assistant, doesn't give him his UTI meds and a fun sort of side effect of UTI. And uh, is it old people or people who have penises? I don't, I'm not a medical professional, so I don't remember. One of the I, two, yeah, maybe both, know. 
one of the side effects is you go a little, as the writer so eloquently put it, piss mad. And so he was kind of like yelling about stuff and like mentally ca- in another place, mm-hmm. not at the shareholder meeting. The most like um interesting scene of that episode was when he asked Tom to help him go to the bathroom mm-hmm. and um called him son. Yeah. <laughs> and uh what did Tom say? He was like, sure, pop, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like you're welcome, pop. He was Papa. like it was like so my my god, like so heartbreaking. And you also, have to wonder if that's the first time he's heard Logan call him son. Right. Like we see we see Tom and Logan's relationship in this season develop and change in a way that we've never seen before. Cause um I was reading this one analysis of the show that was talking about how everything, all roads lead back to Austerlitz, the famous mm-hmm. episode in which they're all in family therapy. Oh yeah. Before uh, Shiv and Tom get married. And so much went back to it. Mm-hmm. And one of them is they keep seeing the scene where um, Logan is telling Shiv that she's marrying a man um, fathoms beneath, beneath him because she, beneath her because she's afraid of being betrayed. And so that's like we, we know what Logan thinks of Tom then. But now we slowly start to see that like Logan is deferring to Tom more and more. The, and the further he gets away from Shiv he's seemingly getting closer to Tom, which is interesting because before the idea was that Shiv would climb to the top and then she would pull her husband Tom with her. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? Honestly? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, we love the organic sounds of uh, It's Good Actually. Uh, I live in the loudest complex in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, so was I talking? We were talking about Shiv's, or the idea was that Shiv was going to yeah, pull Tom up with her. So, yeah. So it's just, like, interesting to see that relationship changing. Because Tom never really sees any evidence of Shiv sticking to her word, what she originally said, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you'll, well, I mean, when was... I when I get some power, of course, you'll have like a position. It's never really super clear. Well, he is made... not really a lot of progress being made on her part, though. To be he honest. is he is made head of ATN. But I think I think that position is a lot more ceremonial than he thought it was going to be. Because, yeah, because when he gets to ATN um to be the head of it he runs into Sid Peach who's like i think the who's head, really in charge who's like the head anchor or something uh, and, and i think it's like she kind of shares or she's the like the producer okay as yeah tom yeah so so anytime he would like want to make a change she'd be like sure sure and like, she's the one that everyone respects right and so there there are moments in season 2 when um tom has been trying to get sid fired yeah or, like, floating the idea. And then, like, nobody takes him seriously because he's Tom. It is funny to see, like, the juxtaposition of um, Logan. Clearly, his regard for Tom is kind of increasing a little bit. But Tom is sort of privately spiraling. <laughs> Tom, Tom, I mean, going back to the whole, like, uh, I mean, you know, first and foremost, being Wamas girls, we play... We play. We pay close attention to the inner psyche of Tom Wamsgans. So, 
like seeing him waffle between sort of you know his his marriage basically failing to his insecurity and uncertainty um within the position of the company i think he quickly realizes in this season if he continues to depend on his relationship with shiv to secure him within waystar royko he's fucked and i think that idea is solidified in the episode with kendall when kendall i think pulls him away um i can't remember this is not during the shareholder meeting is it when Kendall goes into the Waystar building? No, Kendall basically pulls Tom away, right? And meets him oh, yeah, yeah. That was the episode after. That was okay. when they were in Virginia. Oh, yes. Okay. And Kendall is trying his sort of last-ditch effort to get Tom over on his side. And he's like, it must be hard. My sister is, like, fucking around on you. Like, nobody respects you here. You're, like, you're, you know, little fish in a big pool, whatever. You should, you should come to my side where where you'll be respected and positioned and and tom does not fall for it for a second because he this is not the first time a roy sibling has sort of promised him potential power and prestige um if he keeps up his relationship with that person yeah and, and back in season one tom has seen how kendall has done the same thing and then failed in his endeavor i mean if anything he's watching it happen to greg like in this season (laughs) yeah that's also true (laughs) um but he's he says something really interesting in um during that conversation tom when you know in response to this plea to to cross over to the the other side he says should we just play the clip would that just make sense it might might make a little more sense okay but, and I don't mean to be insulting, but having been around a bit, my hunch is that you're going to get fucked. Because I've seen you get fucked a lot. And I've never seen Logan get fucked once. So I think this is the moment, if we're like making a timeline, this is the moment where Tom realizes he's got to hitch his wagon to a trustworthy horse not one who can um, renege on any promises. Because the thing about Logan, though, is Logan fucking sucks, right? But Logan is all about power play. So um, if he makes a deal with you and you can sort of hold him to it, he'll come through. Is there's the a consistent there's thing. a moment in the first episode of the season also where the old guard jerry frank and carl i think it might just be frank and carl but they're discussing like do you think logan can come back from this because this is directly in the aftermath of kendall's press conference Mm -hmm. and they list sort of all of the different sort of messes that are converging at this moment that logan is in and i think frank calls him something like the comeback kid because they start listing all of the things in the past that he has weathered and survived um Madsen, Alexander Skarsgård's character calls him bulletproof. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So there's this sort of overarching theme that Logan is like no matter what gets thrown at him, he survives. He always survives. And so I think that's like the moment when Tom realizes like it's not going to be Shiv, it's not going to be Kendall, it's going to be Logan. Anyway, enough about Tom, but not enough about Tom. 
Never enough about him, but also we can. And like, and we see that like converge. Okay. I mean, I think we just need to address the, okay, here's how I think we should do it. We should address the elephant in the room, which is what happened in the finale. And then sort of like mm-hmm. work backwards from there. Because I think it's, it's no good for us to be sitting here pussyfooting around the, the subject and being like, and then something of us happens that proves that we're, we were right all, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. That is kind of the connecting point, the finale. Okay. So you do it. Hit him. What happens in the finale? So we end season three, episode nine with all the bells. Essentially, what has happened is there's a big deal happening with Gojo, the company um, with Alexander Skarsgård at the head, which is sort of a younger tech company that is missing the content per se that Waystar Royco can provide. And initially Waystar is supposed to be buying up Gojo. Gojo's value starts increasing and then all of a sudden maybe this is a merger and then it keeps increasing and then it's like, oh, all of a sudden maybe Gojo is going to buy Waystar instead. And so we as an audience are not really sure what is going to eventually happen with this deal because we're kind of seeing it from the eyes of Shiv and Roman Mm -hmm. who have been spending all episode essentially trying to figure out what's going on because they've been sidelined by Logan who is it turns out secretly sort of making this happening he's gearing up to possibly sell the company because that's where he ends up on top by doing this, it would screw over all of his children. And they realize that they have some leverage here, but only if they all band, band together. together because a super majority is needed in order for this deal to go through. And if they combine their power, then they think that they can stop it from happening. So we bring you back to the first episode of the season in which Kendall is trying to do just this because he knows that by himself, he can't do shit within the company, but he knows if he can get his share, his shares, Romans and Shiv's like voting power or whatever, they can, they can, they can uh, beat out Logan. And they talk about this. They Shiv says in the car, she's like, if we if we join together, or in the car, or Kendall's house, if we all join together, you, me, you, me as in, like, you, Roman, me, Shiv, Kendall, and Connor, if we all join together, we can kill Dad. And they, they touch on this, but then everything goes to shit because, of, because they were not ready at that point, and Kendall was still sort of, like, in his, you know, like drug adult uh, and they couldn't figure out who is actually in charge in that scenario because there has to be someone who is actually at the top and mm-hmm. of course they all want that for themselves right but this time shiv is like okay kendall can be chairman um um and me and roman can duke it out for one of us can do coo whatever and that is like <laughs> And that is what they needed all along. And so this is the big solution. They are storming the castle, literally. Like the imagery of the cinematography is so incredible. There's a scene which Shiv is leading. They're like in a triangular form. Hello? A triangular formation. Uh, Shiv is in the, in the front, very purposefully, adamantly barging in. And Kendall and Roman are her two uh, like 
what do you call those? Like her, her two back people, her two her escorts or whatever. Her goons. Yeah. <laughs> her goons. And they're both looking upwards at like the, the, um, what up, where are they? I don't know. Some big house in Italy, um, that exactly. Logan has like sequestered, um, uh, for this meeting that's happening. And they barge in ready to sort of, um, shake things up and figure out what's going on. And so before they do that, Roman makes a plead, right, with his siblings. He's like, let's not go in and be like, this is a Shiv show. Um, let's try to talk to dad. And at this point, Roman still thinks that he can reason with Logan. And Roman has always had that sort of weakness in which he is very loyal to his father, um, wants to always give his father like the ultimate bottom line like he above everyone else thinks that logan is infallible when asked if um they would be willing to pull the trigger um both shiv and roman are a little queasy about it but eventually agree kendall's Mm -hmm. famous line hand me the fucking shotgun (laughs) kendall who has been despondent earlier in this episode perks up at the fact that he now gets to plan another coup but this time he gets to do with roman and shiv which is what he wanted all along yeah because roman i mean they're not roman kendall's like pathological need to be liked stems from the fact that everybody in his family sees him as like either a joke or a weak a weak person or like somebody not to band together with and i think this dynamic in which shiv and roy are can i you literally get anyone's names correctly shiv, <laughs> shiv and roman are like kendall we need you we need to do this thing this energizes kendall in a way that, like nothing else has been for the past like two episodes and we're not even talking about what happened in the swimming pool but anyway we'll get to that in a second so essentially it all comes to a head and logan having been presented with now the threat of the kid's super majority says, uh-uh. And he calls back none other than his ex-wife, Lady Caroline Collingwood, whose wedding it is. The mother of Roman Kendall and Shiv. Who reveals that she is now reopening her original divorce settlement and is securing a position for herself, in essence, canceling out the super majority. Really? Over is that what... Wait, is that what we think is happening? I think so. Because my interpretation was that um, originally when Shiv was talking about, um, so you know that teary conversation that Shiv and Caroline had a few, maybe last episode about the divorce? Should we just enjoy a fag? Not do any sniping for a bit? Or have you come to get some attention? Me? Attention from you? Oh, no. That ship sailed long ago. Yeah, I might have been a bit of a spotty mother that you've been a shitty daughter, so. You weren't a spotty mother. You were just an absence. But I'm fine. I moved back to bloody New York so I could be near you, and I never fucking saw you. Mom, it's okay. It's fine. You let Dad take us, and it was probably best. Gave him custody so you could keep your shares and I could protect your interests. You chose. And I think that part of the divorce negotiations were guarantees that her children would have stake in the company. Yeah. Those were the terms of her divorce. So whenever mm-hmm. it came out that Logan and Caroline were reopening the terms of their divorce, um, what I interpret that interpreted this as is that Caroline was um, going back on her request, her demands for her kids to have these stakes in the company. Um, um, 
and in exchange for like whatever thing that her husband wanted, which I think was like a flat in London or something like that. This to me make this to me would make more sense um, because because of their reaction to this, in which they were like devastated and sobbing. Yeah, which I yeah, think, you're right, you're right, actually. Which I think maybe that would have been an overreaction if they had learned that like Caroline like had a seat, and now they have to sway one more person to have a supermajority or something like that. Or yeah, that now they would have to actually fight for whatever position they would end up with if mm-hmm. Gojo is in charge. Yeah, because, no, you're right. Because this this is like the stakes are so high here because they are in danger of losing everything, and that's exactly what happened. And so, and who has? And so, how nine? did how? Well, before we say that, how did Logan know to call Caroline to do this? How did he foresee that his three children, who up until this point he has kept in the dark? About the mm-hmm. proceedings, about the sale um, to jo- uh, to jo- Gojo, Jogo, whatever. Um, Gojo. How did he know? And as Shiv put it so eloquently, who fucking told him we were coming? And let me tell you, let us tell you, who had been twisting the knife in the backs of the Roy children? None other, none other than Emperor Nero, Tom <laughs> Wamsgans, pushing his wife. Down, down the stairs, stairs. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um god okay and we know we we basically know this because after logan thoroughly reams out his children and leaves them with quote-unquote nothing walks out of the room and logan sorry not logan uh, roman is on the floor like weeping Kendall is like despondent again Shiv we see Shiv break which is very rare we don't see Shiv break that often she's usually very stone-faced but she breaks because she knows that she's lost and there's this fucking beautiful shot there that I'm sure you've seen circulating around the internet Mm -hmm. um but um while that's happening Tom shows up and as he's walking into the room, Logan pats him on the shoulder, like in an acknowledging way. And he comes in and you see Shiv's face change because mm-hmm. she's realizing she's, things. She's connecting dots. <laughs> and it's Tom. Tom has betrayed them because he knows that if he wants to look out for himself, he's got to stick with Logan. So who was the only other person who knew what the kids were going to do when they were marching up to the house to uh, say fuck you to Logan. The only other person that any of them told was Tom. That any of them told that also had access to Logan. I'm pretty sure they were like calling up lawyers and yeah, yeah. But like any anyone anyone who who's like not their inside circle. Yeah. And this could okay. There are many things that could be argued. Like a lot of people would say this is like a big twist. No one saw coming. I disagree. I think there are multiple, multiple points within the season in which we could have seen that coming. First and foremost, one of the fucking, the final poster that came out, um, you, we're all familiar with the post, the prom- promotional posters for the season, which is basically Team Kendall versus Team Logan. And behind them are Roman Shiv, hello? Yeah, Roman Shiv, Tom, Greg, Connor. Connor. Yeah. And each poster, they're like shifting, like they're changing sides. And the final poster has all the siblings on one side and Logan, Tom and Greg, Nero and Sporus, uh, (laughs) 
behind Logan, right? So, which initially, nobody having not seen the season, that looks like the most ridiculous possible permutation of all these characters. Right, that just looks like a hate crime waiting to happen. (laughs) Someone's like, oh, Logan is about to like ramp up the homophobia next season. (laughs) Logan has been like, homophobic toward both Kendall and Roman, like terrified at the prospect that they could be not gay, perfectly straight. And who does he pull on his team? <laughs> Tom loves games. <laughs> um, okay. There's a weird conversation that happens right before we find out the move that Tom is pulling, where Shiv calls Tom to tell him what's about to go down. And Tom is like, well, what, what about me? What's going to happen to me when you guys do this? And Shiv basically dismisses him and is like, yeah, whatever, you know, we'll find something up top for you, something senior, which we've heard again and again. And we see this look on, we see the look on Matthew McFadden's face, um, which says, I've heard this. I've seen this part before <laughs> and I didn't like the ending. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm singing. Uh, <laughs> Did I misquote that song? I probably did. It's fine. Um, And he makes some calculated moves and he has a weird conversation with Greg. When Greg is talking about his dating life or something, about him being like possibly the future king of like some, about of like Luxembourg, whatever. Yeah, Greg's like silly played for laughs side plot. The last two episodes have been his pursuit of like a, some duchess he's climbing the dating ladder as they say and like a contessa yeah and an influencer tom is like yeah yeah great hey so some stuff is about to go down in the company i need to know you want to you want to come with me and addresses him as sporus in that moment (laughs) he says sporus you want to come with me and he says um you know in the beginning of the episode you heard the clip do you want to make a deal with the devil and greg all but is pretty much like yeah sure who needs a soul <laughs> boo who? no like none of his usual like stuttering not even like the hedging any further past when that question is asked just like sort of a puts his head in his hand looks down you don't know what he's gonna say he just looks up and goes what am i gonna do with a soul anyways Souls are boring. <laughs> Boo, souls. <laughs> Boo, a soul. Boo, souls. <laughs> that moment is blocked so strangely because they're having what is essentially a business conversation. But and it's, yet, it's but a proposal. It's a proposal. They're very intimately like leaned in toward each other. Greg is all but between uh, Tom's knees. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it even ends with them not just shaking, but standing up with their arms around each other and then hugging. And so yeah. one would say from a surface level is would say this is like a sort of business alliance that has just been made. But we know from body language alone and also the use of neuro and sporous analogy that this is something far more personal. Yeah. And um, at the time when we were watching that scene, we could maybe think that, okay, he's talking about how his wife is about to do some shit in the company and Logan's going to be pissed. So he's like, okay, Greg, are you with me? 
um, whatever happens. Yeah. No, yes. no. He's not talking about, Greg, will you stick with me as maybe we risk our necks to go against Logan? It's, Greg, I'm about to betray my wife. I'm about to push my wife down the stairs. Will you get castrated and marry me? Yeah. That is what that is. That is the proposal. That's what that is. Shakespeare is all I'm saying. Jesse so, Armstrong is a genius. And so poor Lady Caroline Collingwood and Peter Munyon, because not one but two proposals have now happened at their wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah, Which we I should totally talk forgot. about. I guess this is the segue for the victory for the con heads who all watched the finale. This is a big, uh, big episode for con heads. Cause I think that con heads are often given so little and they were given almost so much. And I was so disappointed from the first half of this season because I was like, I need more Willa out of this. I need more Willa this season. You, you bumped her up to main cast. I got to see my girl. She's and, so um, like, clever and funny and like an enigmatic on camera i know i'm never disappointed to see her and the last three episodes honestly seven was a, a good willa episode as well uh that whole arc begins with um connor coming up to her during the wedding festivities and being like so um my advisor because he's still running for president um, <laughs> yeah because like my advisor says that journalists are digging into your background um, this could be a problem if you're just like my girlfriend and she's like oh well do you want to take this underground again like we can be secretly dating and he's like no no I think that it's too late for that I think the solution here is um, if we get married and basically proposes to her and I said this before but Connor Roy is maybe the only person in the world who can get away with a proposal at a wedding and have it not be a problem because he's incapable of stealing the spotlight. That is sort of his persisting problem in his whole life. Emily, Emily edited this, edited this out of our last uh, episode, <laughs> so we never got to see that moment. But initially when I was introducing the Roy siblings, I said, Logan has three children. Kendall, Shiv, and Roman. And then I pause and go, oh shit, and Connor, I forgot about Connor. <laughs> which is which is the whole which is the whole thing. Yeah. And um, Connor also, another victory for him was he snapped at his three siblings. He said, No, you're not gonna leave me out. I must be accounted for, he says. And he reminds them all that he is the eldest, eldest son. Sib- he is the eldest son. When asked for comment, Connor Roy said that he has always been the eldest son. And that he was interested in politics from a very, very young, young age. age. Oh my god. These are the little nuggets that Connor <laughs> have to hold on to and sort of swing with forever. And I think that outburst comes from both... I really like the, the conversation he had with Willow when he was angrily looking for a car and he was like, my, everybody in my family hates me because he thinks that they all don't care about him. Um, and you're going to leave me and I'm going to have nothing. And I don't often, I know everybody likes feeling bad for Kendall and Roman and Shiv, but the way I watch this show, I don't, but I think that Connor moment was the first time I came close to feeling bad for Roy like that. Cause I was like, 
truly like what he's saying is almost nearly true he is so discounted and i don't know if you caught it but there was like another blink and you miss it sort of connor lore reveal that episode so the first like big one that we have from season two was that his mother was institutionalized Institutionalized. Mm -hmm. um we got another one this finale when he says something like i didn't see pop for three years Mm -hmm. and we don't get any any more information past that i need to know what happened with connor about why he's like the black sheep sort of But also there are bits and pieces where he is the surrogate father figure for Roman and Kendall and Shiv. And you can see that because he loves them a lot. Like he wants to be involved in their lives. He hates when there's conflict between the three of them. I like the scene where Kendall was like, what? So you hate me now? And he's like, asshole. I love you guys so much. I know. That part like, that part, that part tugged at my heartstrings, It really did for me too. Um, because we we seldom get to see them be human outside the parameters of them being like super rich like assholes, and but we every once in a while get like a moment like that that's like so humanizing, and I'm just I'm a sucker for a good sibling story, I guess. Yeah, and the last like all four of them together moment was in episode two of the season where they dramatically stormed out. Right. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> so true. And it's funny that the inciting factor for them to sort of get together again was Kendall's maybe suicide attempt. Yeah. Where he the story is that he got too drunk and fell into the pool. And we left off on the penultimate episode of him sort of leaning further and further. He was like on a floaty and then he was leaning further and further and like sort of bobbing his head into the water. Okay, you want to hear something is the first time that I saw the shot of him floating on the pool, like relaxing against the Tuscan countryside. He's just floating on a raft in the pool, holding a cold beer. And I said this out out loud to the people I was watching with. And I said, that's where it's at. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's where it's at right there. Emily going on air to be like, the suicide scene where it was before it was before he like dunks his head into the water so i clearly only had the context of him like chilling like the the best kind of chill possible you watching one of the most dramatic moments of the show being like no that's that's chill that's what's up until it almost turned into a permanent chill (laughs) (laughs) um we never really get to know whether or not that was really like an accident or like a cry for help or like a actual attempt. I think yeah, I, the I, siblings I, kind of treat it as if it was suicide a, attempt, an actual attempt and, or at least a cry for help. I think if I were to take, throw my hat into the, the ring, um, another phrase that I am sure exists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say if, I would, if I were to take a guess, I would say that it was like a moment of like, like a deep desperation and like depression. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't like plodding to drown himself in his like family's vacation home pool. Yeah. I kind of read it that way as well. Like, I don't think this was something necessarily going through his mind actively. As per tradition of recording these episodes, my waterproof mascara is melting into my (laughs) eyeballs one moment 
Now I'm like distracted. <laughs> no, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I do look like I'm sobbing on air. Yeah, I don't think that Kendall was actively trying to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we got that cleared up. We've got that cleared up. And Kendall himself like says, like, oh, I just had one too many limoncellos and like fell in, like whatever. Um, I was fully expecting him to like roll up in like a wheelchair <laughs> for drama. Um, I'm annoyed that they didn't have Jess in this episode, but they had Dasha for like five seconds. True. Why, why why is is, Dasha playing the role of Jess? Why is Dasha doing his like assistant stuff? Why would she be at the wedding? We know why it's because she's like, she's like playing, um, Greg's love interest temporarily. Until he runs into the arms of, uh, Darcy. I mean, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) And, can I say also that I loved how on the nose and yet they did it anyways, it was of sort of the group of younger siblings and Willa and Greg all playing Monopoly, Monopoly. together. <laughs> and like they're cheating. And Tom saying, here's another get out of jail free card. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, um, that feels like, have you ever seen those TikToks that these like people make? It's called like, if real life were like succession and then yeah. it'd be like, yeah. it'd be like, dad said he wants his coffee like this. Yeah. That's what yeah, dad that's said. Really good. That's so good. <laughs> I love, I love those people. I forget their uh, username, but that feels like a, like a skit that would happen there and not like in this show they're playing Monopoly and Shiv is like stealing money from the bank. And Willa's like, um, I think you're not kind of allowed to do that. And then Shiv's like, no, that's how you play Monopoly. But like, in a way it's like nice to see them, like together when when roman's like okay i guess i don't want you dead like together yeah yeah peak sibling peak sibling energy i feel like the destination episodes are good ones to Mm -hmm. have these moments because when they're on vacation they get like vacation chilling moments but those are also the episodes where the most drama is happening (laughs) so it's a good it's a good side by side right like on one hand we have them like chilling like on the on the in the gardens of this like idyllic italian countryside and then the next scene it's like roman and Ke- uh, roman and uh, logan's like on a boat to some random island um to meet with alexander Skarsgård. it sort of lulls you into a false sense of security even though you know that because this is the finale obviously something huge is going to be happening later on but at the beginning you just get a nice game of monopoly with some cheating involved. Can we talk about how mounting uh, Logan's insanity becomes? The part where Kendall requests to have dinner with him. So this is like the penultimate episode, I think. Yeah. The episode before. Kendall requests to have dinner with Logan so he can basically say like, you offer to buy me out in the company and I'm taking the offer. Mm-hmm. And um, Logan's like, actually, No. Maybe I want to keep you around. Maybe I don't want to give you like your assets or whatever. Um, when that happens, I think in the beginning, um, Kendall's like, yeah, I had the chef like look up your dietary restrictions and like make you dinner. That's like you can have that's nice for you. And Logan has uh, Kendall's son, Iverson, taste the food for poison. Yeah, that was the most... I think that's maybe the most 
or up there with one of the most visibly heartless things that Logan has done in front of his children. Right. To and it's so funny because Kendall's like, "You think I want you dead? I'll be broken when you die." And that in itself is just like heartbreaking to hear and just so fucking moving. But also something that Kendall never addresses, which is funny to me, is that you are outraged and insulted by the implication that you'd be trying to poison your father. What about the implication that your father suspects that you have poisoned his food and asks your child to come taste it? I guess you just have to contextualize it as maybe he's so bewildered by having seen this that he just doesn't know where to uh, yeah i suppose it. it's just like so left field and so crazy yeah um anyway that that whole and that dinner basically kickstarts uh kendall's like descent into madness so he's always gonna have like a a definite low point in the season and this is it. This is it, kind of what leads to his despondency in the next episode because yeah. And we could. This was foreshadowed, I think, during his birthday party episode as well. Yeah, yeah. One of the big arching themes um, throughout this whole show, um, season one, we had Kendall trying to claw to the top. Season two, we see Shiv plucked out of her own element to be groomed for the business. Season three, we see Roman playing that role of favorite child. And um, each each season, we see one child lose favor. Like, surely they lose favor. And um, I think overall, we come to this unity, right? Like, there, the finale is where it comes to a head, where they each realize that when Logan is considering selling to uh, Matson, Shiv says, that means he thinks that none of us should or can take over. And that's the realization that they needed to all have ages yeah. ago. The, the kicker though, what makes this like a Shakespearean level tragedy is when they realize th- th- that the, the answer, the key to their issues with their father is uniting against him, it's too fucking late. I feel like this is maybe a good transition toward speculation about what could come in season four. Because now the the challenge is going to be maintaining this alliance Momentum. between the three siblings because mm-hmm. it took all season to even establish one. And in a way, it took three entire seasons to <laughs> establish one. Yeah, I saw a tweet. Hold on, who tweeted this? Uh, at 91Rogue, <laughs> Twitter said, not to be that person, but who do we think is snitching on Kendall first for the manslaughter, Shiv or Roman? So one of the inciting moments of them banding together as power of three, whatever, um, is when Kendall has his moment in the dirt um, after or before during the wedding, after the wedding, where he starts sobbing and admitting to Shiv and Roman that uh, the manslaughter thing happened. He thinks that this is the biggest secret that could undo him, and he's been carrying this this whole time. And um, he tells Shiv and Roman, they're like, shit. Okay, anyway. <laughs> that yeah. was really the reaction. They're like joking to make him feel better. Roman's like, well, you didn't grab the wheel. He grabbed the wheel. He's like, who amongst us, who among us hasn't killed a kid? Which is so fucking funny. I feel like funny. it's like Shiv is too focused. She's too eyes on the prize. Like 
yeah. the, the more pressing issue to her is, is, is the securing dad. their futures, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with Roman, it's maybe more of like, okay, this is like too big for me to even want to unpack or process it all right now. I'm just going to joke well, about it. I will say that I think that scene is the first scene um, in a long time where where their their family dynamics are playing to their strengths. Like Shiv yeah. has always been the handler. She's not the emotional one. She's never been taking care of people's needs and nurturing. She is sort of keeping things afloat and um, seeing big picture while all this shit is happening. And Roman has always been the more sensitive one who's more in, t- in tune to people's feelings and like making sure that like Kendall is okay and whatever. Yeah. And so they, but it, not to say that Shiv is like completely like iced out from or icing out this whole thing. Like there is a scene where um, she's like kneeling next to Kendall while he's crying and like putting her hand on his shoulder while he's like down in the dirt. But I think you had a story, right? About this, about Kendall being, or uh, Yeah, Jeremy. so Jeremy Strong was essentially trying to work through how to do this scene where Kendall reveals his secret of the fact that he killed the waiter at Shiv's wedding, which has sort of just been hovering over him since it happened. And they had done a bunch of takes. There was something like nine different takes <laughs> where they were all standing and Jeremy Strong just wasn't really into it. It wasn't quite working out yet. He makes the decision to sit down on the dirt, which, and I noticed this when I was watching, I was like, what, what is going on with his pants? Cause it looked like they were bleached on one pant leg. And I was like, that can't be just like what the pants look like. That's such a bizarre design. (laughs) I don't know what was going through my mind, but it ends up being just the dirt that's on the ground. It was just very thick and oddly colored. And by doing that, he is essentially ruining those other nine takes for just the sake of continuity because (laughs) all, all the other shots would then be missing this giant noticeable dirt stain on the pants. But that's what really actually unlocked, I don't know, the secret sauce. That's what made the scene work. That's what made the scene work. And we get like that famous um, uh, shot of them in like this position where Kendall's on the ground. Uh, Kieran is like holding, like putting, has an arm over his shoulder. Um, Shiv is standing in the background answering a phone call, but still she's like slightly removed from them, but still involved in their uh, like interaction. Yeah, she's got like a hand on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I kept watching this also and being like, I can't believe none of them even think to just give him a hug. That's right. so unnatural well, and so just not their instinct yeah. at all. It's, just, it's Sarah, not what they do. Sarah Snook did an interview where she was talking about um, that scene where she like at some point squats down next to him while he's sobbing. And she's like saying like a lot of things were going through my head at that moment. Um, one of them was me just being like very warm and wearing Spanx and like it's really hot outside and there's mm-hmm. a lot of dirt everywhere. So I'm just trying to like manage and it was like tough acting wise. But also I'm sure trying- that's like also something that was going through Shiv's head at the time though. Right. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And also at the same time she's like, well, what would she, like Shiv isn't like Shiv isn't heartless and she's not like removed from this completely but she's not the type to just give Kendall a hug Mm -hmm. and like we see that they all have trouble expressing physical um affection towards each other there's actually a really funny photo set I saw the other day that was like Greg giving several members of the family hugs and so there are scenes where oh yeah I was just about to mention also just having (laughs) seen this gift set 
<laughs> shared so many times by now on Tumblr yeah. of the the do you want to make a deal with the devil scene with Greg and Tom. Yeah. How naturally they just like stand up and hug each other after that. It's just right. no hesitation at all. The Roy's just the physical intimacy to them is so foreign. There, I mean, this is random, but like a few episodes ago at the shareholder meeting when Shiv gets like screamed at by uh, um, Logan and Tom is trying to offer her like comfort, she like flinches away from him. Yeah. She's not open to that kind of comfort. Yeah. Um, But um, that scene in the dirt though is interesting. And I was reading something that was like, I wish I remembered to like bookmark these like tweets and articles that I read because they're all so interesting, but there's so many. Um, um, It's interesting about Kendall that his redemption arc, quote unquote, happens in the dirt because so far we see him in the water. So like in, in the first season when he's killed that kid, so to speak, and is like in deep shit, it's, it's, it's in the water. Right. And then we see his like potential suicide attempt happen in the water. And these are all of, these are all instances of him spiraling and being alone and being uh, unsupported and uh, hitting rock bottom. But when he really, he gets his redemption in the dirt is when he gets down in the dirt and gets dirty and the earth cleanses him. And at that point he has people, his siblings behind him on his side. And then we start to see him sort of rise from the ashes. Hello. Hello. Symbolism. (laughs) Symbolism, textual analysis. If we're sort of thinking (laughs) about 10th grade English a little bit. (laughs) We're even getting into semiotics. Yeah, but that kind of stuff I I really like to see. Um, A parallel to that scene in the dirt is the one um, in um, Logan's war room or whatever, um, when they find out that their mom and dad have essentially, like, robbed them of their legacies. And so um, Mike Mylod, I guess the, I don't, I forget, he's either either the producer or... He's producers, directed a couple episodes. Yeah, and he's he's directed, he's written for and directed, I think, the finale with Jesse. Um, he says that, he's talking about, like, the last few scenes, right? And he says um, about blocking the last scene, in that final moment when Kieran found his way to the ground, that was just really intuitive. I can't remember the stage direction that Jesse Armstrong had written, but it was along the lines of, in this moment of desolation and defeat, that they have each other. That was a moment of hope for me, and the actors responded to that. Kieran's instinct was to go to the ground there. Jeremy's was to support him, as his brother had done for him. Jesse's stage direction was just that they have each other. That was the stage direction. And they know exactly what to do with that. (laughs) It's like, what a show. It just speaks volumes about a show that you have written it to the to the way where you don't even have to give real stage direction to the actors who play the characters because they know the story and the characters so well they just intuitively know what would happen. Like I just uh, television, uh, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, I'm just, I hate when I get like this. I said this before and I'll say it again. Succession is and always maybe will be one of the best shows on television. I just, every new little thing I learn about it is just so fucking cool. I know. 
Okay, let's fucking talk about what we left off last episode. <laughs> let's talk about yes. Nicholas Bretel. Let's get into the Bretel of it all. I just want to do a quick little background for Nicholas Bretel. Um, he's done music for Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk, and most recently, that Netflix movie, Don't Look Up, which is the reason that all of our fucking Netflix subscription fees are going to go up, because it has every A-list actor known to man <laughs> casted in it. Um, and that's an Adam McKay movie. Eh, you're right. Nicholas Bertrell is an Adam McKay girl. Anyway, um, but I... I think his work is very special. Um, He does a lot of string work. And I think that it's very interesting that um, there's a lot of movement in his music. So like when we, sometimes, you know, it's done so subtly that you can't even really hear um, the music explicitly, but it, you don't realize it's setting the tone. The scene in which they're, the siblings are at the wedding, but they suspect something is going on. There are undercurrents of music happening there that are causing you to have anxiety. And if you took away that music from that um, blocking, then you maybe you wouldn't even feel the mounting um, apprehension that you're getting towards the big like quote unquote reveal in which Shiv gets on a phone call and finds out that um, you know something is happening. And so um, something unique. So <laughs> after the finale, I rewatched the last uh, scene because I wanted to see the cut from the final scene, Shave doing her like what the fuck face to basically the end credits music. Mm-hmm. And noticed that usually, usually the end credits music is um, fairly um, consistent. Um, we don't have this. We don't have the actual season three soundtrack out yet nicholas bertel when is that coming out um but it'll i'll clip in i'll clip in something similar here and it usually sounds like this something I noticed about the finale is that um, he introduced something that I haven't heard before in the um, the the brittle brittle verse, if you will, <laughs> similar to the <laughs> Duneverse. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> in which he incorporates uh, vocals, so he has um, he not only has like the the signature outro music, but he also has added mounting um operatic vocals sort of signify that like intense drama that we just saw and it's it's so cool because like we just saw this like clusterfuck thing a cl- uh, hello clusterfuck of things happen 
And then we get to like sort of sit there, bathe in this music and process what's going on. The music is indicating, no, this is not what you ordinarily would have seen in one of our typical episodes, but this is the finale. So sync on it, think about it. Here's like a vocal track of building dramatic operatic voices. Yeah. And um, I don't, it's just, sorry, I just went into like score mode, but like. <laughs> That's one of like the, the good things about having to wait week by week for the episodes is that you don't get to just hit next episode and skip over that. It's final scene has happened and then here's the score to help you soak in what you just saw. So the finale of uh, Succession, Emily, is good actually. Oh, <laughs> I, I would say that it's the best show on television actually. And with that, we say goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.